You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Jackie Vincent, and I have been going to Free City for about seven years now. Um, I help lead the Topeka City Group alongside my husband and Ashley Haberger, and <laughs> yeah, and um, I also serve on the worship team here. Um, today's passage is going to be from Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine. Um, if you're reading in the Bibles beneath your seat, it's on page one hundred and eighty eight or 888, my bad, 888. All right, Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Jesus, um, I thank you just for... Romans and uh, the way that you can uh, just calm our hearts with it. Um, I pray that you would open our hearts up to hear just what you have to say and that we would leave feeling like we know you more and that your truth is more set in our hearts, Um, that you would speak to us about whatever we need to be spoken to, um, whether it's encouragement or um, conviction, and that we would um, be able to share that with the people that you have put around us. I pray for Central that um, when we leave here that there would just be an aroma of you and that every Sunday that they would wonder um, what it is and that um, just through our different relationships with the teachers here that students and teachers would come to know you um, just because of who you are and your Holy Spirit um, living within us and going where we go and um, that that aroma would just stick around and people would be curious. So we thank you for the generosity of um, Central and that we get to meet here um, and that we, uh, yeah, just get to know you more. So we love you. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning. My name is Ethan and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, it is great to be with you this morning. If you're a guest with us um, for the first time, uh, welcome. Um, At Free City Church exists to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully this morning, um, what you experienced thus far in the service is uh, coming together and hopefully it's really apparent uh, that we care a lot about Jesus. And uh, we believe that he is the only way to true transformation. He's the only true hope in your life. And uh, so we, we don't say that to slam that on you, we say, hey, we want you to look into that with us. Would you step in with us um, and and look at Jesus? 
If you've been with us for uh, the last while, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and so today is a detour, and you might be thinking, what's going on? Why are we in a detour? Um, we're, we're just going to be in Romans 8, 31 through 39 this morning. Um, we're going to preach through it, and, uh, and then at the end, I, I want to just loop you in uh, about church planting and Free City Church, the mission of our church, and, and what we're doing uh, here um, from Lawrence uh, to reach out beyond our walls um, to see uh, churches planted and, and to see um, the good news of Jesus Christ go forth. Uh, so I'll give you that right up, up front. We're going to come around to that at the end of the service and, and loop there. But this morning we find ourselves in Romans 8, 31 through 39. As you turn in there, or maybe you're still there, uh, you can stay there. Uh, I, I am an only child. Uh, on Friday nights in my hometown, uh, we would, you know, in, we had, I don't know if you grew up this way, some people have boys and girls clubs, some people have different things. We had the YMCA, and on Friday nights in my hometown, uh, the YMCA, we just called it the Y, I'm sure that's, I think that's actually the real name now. We just, they had skate night every Friday night. For some, that was awesome. Like, it was low lights, you got to pick your skate partner, you could hold hands and go around the wood floor of the basketball gym, right? For me and my friends, though, uh, we thought, no thanks on that. Uh, this was just a, a greater opportunity to hang out and play basketball way after our bedtime. So the back gym at the Y um, was the new gym at the Y, and we would get to go back there on specifically Friday nights. But here's the thing you need to know about the back gym at the Y. It was completely unsupervised. You might know where I'm going. <laughs> I was uh, an elementary kid, and uh, here's the thing. Anytime there were middle schoolers around, someone was guaranteed to get roughed up. The elementary kids being the ones getting roughed up. But I remember the feeling of walking into that gym. You walked up this ramp, and uh, as you walked up, you had like excitement, but you simultaneously felt like fear in the pit of your stomach. You know what I'm saying? Just this terror coming over you. But nights were different when my cousin, Michael, was there. Michael is a year older than me. He is, uh, he's one of those guys who, he got like biceps in kindergarten, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and further, Michael had already dealt with all those punk middle schoolers. When Michael was around, we just played basketball. I didn't fear what might happen because I knew who had my back. On those evenings, I was unafraid I was confident, I was secure on those nights. Have you had an experience like that before? Like one where you've been terrified and then something shifts and you feel all of a sudden secure. If so, then you understand how things change when you have absolute assurance of your safety, when you know that you have someone who's for you. I realize I applied security to an adolescent experience in my life but what if we all understood a deeper, more steadfast security? I assume not all of you have a cousin Mike, right? Can you imagine what life might look like if you actually lived in and believed Romans 8 that Jackie just wrote? That in Christ, God is for you. How might your life be different? Just consider. If you were certain... You were sure that God is for you. Perhaps you might treasure him above all things. Like perhaps you would no longer look to your career or your money or anything else that offers this kind of false sense of security. 
And if you were convinced and certain that God is for you, how differently might you just approach life? The ethics of the kingdom, like I'm talking God's commands. How often do you know even just in your day-to-day what's expected of you, the way that God intends for you to live, but you kind of just shrug it off and you keep doing you? But if you knew that God was for you, you'd embrace God's commands as perfect as, as we just read earlier, reviving the soul, as Psalm 19.7 says. Because if God is for you, then his commands are for you. And if you were convinced that God is for you, I think it would actually change the way that you view yourself and how you see others. If you were convinced and you were certain that God's for you, you'd be able to lose and sacrifice your comforts for others. And you'd be able to, in this given confidence, because of whose you are, you'd live into who you are. The real you in Christ. You'd share the gospel of Jesus with your friends and family, your neighbors, your coworkers, because you wouldn't be worried about what they think, and, and further, you wouldn't rely on your own capabilities. And here's the thing. I think the reality that all of us don't live in those ways that I just described reveals that we don't truly believe that we have this assurance. For if you believe something to be true, you live differently, right? Well, in Romans 8, 31 through 39, the Apostle Paul, he gives straight to the heart. He lays out four reasons why we can have absolute assurance that in Jesus Christ, God is for us. That's where we're going today. Four reasons, and we'll start with this. You can have absolute assurance that because of Jesus, God is for you. First, we start that God gave his son for you. Look at verse 31 and 32. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul begins with this sort of rhetorical question. But before we look at his question, we have to ask, what does he mean by these things? Like, right, that might be confusing. Well, Paul, at this point, is referring to everything he said up to this point in the book of Romans. If you think back, if you're familiar with Romans, I'll give you a quick overview. In Romans 1, Paul starts by rooting the story of the gospel in the Old Testament. He says, this has always been the good story. And then he unpacks the sinfulness of all humanity, which has resulted in separation from God. As we read it, hopelessness at first read starts to settle in. But then Paul hits us with the good news. He crescendos into this miraculous that God has done something about sin through his son, Jesus Christ, and that all who believe in Jesus are justified before God. He then goes that they are reconciled to God. They enjoy peace with God. They have the indwelling spirit of God. They're not condemned by God. They're adopted by him, and they have a glorification hope that awaits. They have help in the spirit of God. They've been called by God. And they have certainty that all things are working for the good of those who love God. He lays this all out and as if to say, man, isn't this wonderful? What then do we say to these things? And he answers, God is for us. It's amazing. And then he demonstrates how God is for us. 
Paul goes from the greater to the lesser. He's like, if I were to walk up to you and I gave you a $100 bill, right? I just came up, handed you a $100 bill, and then you like, you needed a dime for the parking meter, and I was still standing there, and you were terrified to ask me because you didn't think I had a dime. I could just give you a hundred bucks. Surely I've got a dime to loan you, right? In a far greater way, Paul's saying, if God didn't spare his son Jesus, he gave you the best thing, how would he not also give you everything else? All the lesser things. You can be absolutely sure that God the Father is for you because he did not spare his own son. And further, he gives you everything necessary to conform you into the image of his son and everything necessary to get to glory for eternity. Can you imagine how your life might be different if you truly believe that God is for you because he gave his son for you? Like, Think about how surprising it is how God is. When you and I think about security, we think through the lens of how much we can store up, how much we can acquire, right? But God's radically different than this. He shows how much he cares for us in the fact that he gave his son. He did not withhold Jesus from us. And then he asked this question, how will he not graciously give us all things? The Father will not hold anything from you that you need on this journey in through this life and into eternity with Christ. God grants life through what he gives, but we so often believe that our security is found in what we obtain. You see, the father gave up his son. Jesus went to the cross for our trespasses, as Romans 4.25 says. God is for you. You can have this assurance because he gave Jesus for you. And then we get to their second point. Verse 33, we see that we can know that God is for us because God has justified us. Look at verse 33. Paul writes, who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. When you believe in Jesus, when you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ, you repent, God then declares you righteous, no longer guilty. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. If you think about it, Jesus took all of our sin upon the cross and in turn gave us all his righteousness. He clothes us with himself. To be justified, it's this churchy word that sometimes we throw out there, but it's to gain right standing before the Father. If you think about it, it's just as if I had not sinned. Justified. You've been judged right in Jesus, and there is no higher court that can overturn this declaration. It is done completely and utterly, and his resurrection testifies to this good news. Paul is saying, if God has made you righteous, who could possibly bring a charge against you? What if we truly believe that God has justified us? What if we really began to live into this reality? I think it would change everything in how we even fight sin and temptation. Like, if you think about your life, maybe you're trying to work your way into God's graces or living in the fear that he's some sort of vindictive father. And if so, then you find yourself regularly pretending or performing when it comes to sin. You perform. You think, well, I just got to do a little bit better. 
You know, I messed up there, but next time I'll make up for it. Just wait and see. And in your performance and your empty promises, you find yourself exhausted. Or you pretend. You say things like, man, sure, you shrug it off. Sure, I made mistakes. I'll admit it. But in your admittance, you hide out in the shadows. You never actually step into the light and give the true confession. Instead of losing your guilt and shame, as 1 John 1, 9 says, you, and living in the assurance that God is for you, you cling to your guilt and shame. You try to hide behind it, and you come all together, miss the assurance that God is for you. Not that God leaves you, but you, begin, you become deceived, and you pass when it comes to true living. But if God has declared you righteous in Jesus, if he's justified you, then you can have absolute assurance that he is for you. You don't have to pretend or perform anymore. You can be honest. You can truly and fully live in Christ because God is for you. You don't have to be a slave to your actions any longer. You don't have to hide out in the shadows because God, the one who knows all, has laid all, every burden upon his son, Jesus Christ. And there's no charge against you. Because on the cross, Jesus was charged guilty for the record that you faced. And in his resurrection, God says, I accept that payment. Brothers and sisters, because of Jesus, we can have absolute assurance that God is for us. We look to the cross. We look to the risen Savior. Do you have this assurance today? Or do you kind of find yourself like ruminating between that playing and pretending place. You find yourself exhausted or kind of weary, like reaching to be good enough or whatever you might strive for. You're pretending. Like maybe this time you're slick enough to get out of the situation, but unable to outrun that fear that's in your guts of what happens when you finally get caught. What people might think what it'll cost you, or what charges might be brought up against you. And if that's you today, I want you to know that the assurance that Paul writes of, that I'm speaking of, can be yours in Jesus. We're in Romans 8, but if you cheat and you were to flip a page forward, perhaps, into Romans 10, Pastor Paul, in 10, 9 of Romans, he says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And two verses later, in verse 11, Paul says, For everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. It's not just that you won't be put to shame in this life, but God is faithful also to glorify those he justifies, as Romans 8.30 says. If you have faith in Jesus you can have absolute assurance that God is for you because in Christ, God has justified you. He's made you right. Next, we see that we can have absolute assurance that God is for us in Jesus because Jesus intercedes for us. Point three, look at verse 34. Paul writes, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Paul says, who's going to condemn you? I'd like to think of it as he just pauses and waits. 
And then he jumps back at him. No one, no one can condemn you. On the cross, Jesus took all the condemnation that you deserve. But it didn't end there. Jesus was raised for our justification to make us right before God. And further, it doesn't even end there. Paul points to Jesus in this very moment right now. It's as if Hebrews 1.3, kind of that if you're familiar with it, where he says, after making the purification for sins, Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His work was complete. He sits down. And even John 2, 2, 1 John, 1 John, where John writes and he says, hey, if you do sin, I'm, I'm warning you, don't sin. But if you do, I want you to know this. We have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Paul's saying Jesus is our heavenly advocate and our great high priest. Jesus is seated next to the Father and is constantly, constantly reminding and speaking your case to the Father that there is no condemnation for you if you're in him. Jesus intercedes for you. If you're a Christian and if you find yourself in a hard season of suffering, like things are happening, it's not due to sin, it's just things are happening in your life and you're beat down I want to remind you that what you experience is not punishment from God. God disciplines those whom he loves. Hebrews 12, 6 points to this, but his discipline is for the good of his kids. God does not punish you to put you in your place to condemn you because his son, Jesus Christ, received all that punishment and all that condemnation from the Father upon the cross. Even in the midst of your trials, you can take heart knowing that God is for you because Jesus intercedes for you. Not like five days ago, not sometime in the future, right now. Right now, Christ intercedes for you. Think about how this might transform the way that you interact with others if you really believe that God is for you. Imagine if you had no fear that anyone would ever be able to condemn you. Zero fear of man. Completely free to love people because you wouldn't constantly need to use them to give you value. You wouldn't have to use others to validate yourself. You wouldn't have to use people as a crutch to establish your identity. You live in the given identity the one from Christ, held in Christ. You'd walk confidently going forth in his words of intercession rather than limping through life, tossed to and fro by what others have to say about you. Instead of using people or even fearing them, you'd be able to love others. In light of what Jesus has done for you, perhaps you'd even be less critical of others. I think about that. You'd walk in the grace and mercy of your Lord, your Savior, and in turn, because of what you've received, you extend the grace and mercy of Jesus. Where or to what do you look to establish your identity? Because what Paul's saying is, in Jesus, 
You don't have to validate yourself. If you're in Christ, you have one who already validates you. He went to the cross for you. He intercedes for you. And Romans 8, 1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So friends, you have absolute assurance that in Jesus, God is for you. We know this because Jesus intercedes for us. And then finally, Paul closes. And we know that in Christ, God is for us because Jesus' love has the power to withstand anything. Look at verse 35. Paul questions. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he goes in to just fill out all our imagination. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, as if we miss something, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just to be sure that nothing is left to our minds, Paul establishes this crescendo, and he emphatically says, no one and nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, then you can be assured that God is for you because Jesus' love, as Paul says, is more powerful than anything in the universe. In verse 36, you see Paul jumps out for a second. He cites Psalm 44, 22 right there, and, and he says it's really, it's a psalm about the suffering of God's people. And, and here's what Paul's really doing. It's just, he's just saying, hey, you're not alone in this. I want you to know you're not paving some new road. God's people have experienced what you experienced. Don't let suffering derail you. And he jumps right to it. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul wants us to be sure that the love of God through Jesus Christ can never, ever be revoked. So here's the question. Do you have this absolute assurance that because of Jesus, God is for you? This assurance doesn't come as something that you can earn because it's not something you deserve. You can't work hard enough, you can't do good enough, or so on. If you seek God's approval through your work, you will never, ever experience the absolute assurance God being for you because it's dependent upon what you do. We have to transfer our faith and our hope and our assurance from ourselves, what we can accomplish, to Jesus, to look to him, to let him take it all. Because as long as we hope in what we can do or have done, we will never rest in what he's already done. So the question is, have you turned from hoping in what you can do and put your hope in what Jesus has done? 
And if you have, then this absolute triumphal assurance that Paul tells us of is yours. And if you haven't, I want you to know that it can be yours in Jesus. You can repent. You can give your sin to Jesus and receive the assurance that he gives. It's, it's as simple as a confession. Just, Lord, I've, I've tried to pave my own way. I've tried to earn my own way, my own assurance, if you will, but I realized I need you. And in turning from your own ways and believing in Christ, you receive the life of grace. And when you understand that Jesus is Lord of all, it begins to transform all. And you're living. It's not just living anymore. You see that it's bigger than this. It becomes actual worship. You already live and worship things. You find your value, you find your hope in stuff. But that's idolatry. Because the things that we look to, our jobs, our securities, our homes, our friends, they'll never give us true assurance. They'll always sell us short. But we receive the assurance from Jesus. And our lives are transformed and we begin to not idol worship, but Worship the one true God. And if you're assured that God is for you in Christ, it changes your life. You become humble. You have nothing to prove. And in turn, the humility that you live in is extended as hope to others. You begin to understand that the majority of your neighbors, majority of your coworkers and family members, they don't have this kind of assurance because they don't know Jesus. And here's the thing, Paul tells us in chapter 10 of Romans, verses 14 through 16, that your friends and family members, your coworkers, everyone, they cannot hope in someone they have not heard of. And then he goes further, and he says, and they won't hear unless we tell them. But don't we so often freeze up? And we close our mouths. We shut up instead of being assured that God is for us because we long to know that others are for us. We're worried about what we might lose. But your friends who don't have an assurance of hope in Jesus, I want you to know they are image bearers of the God that they need to know whose image, bear, image they bear. So we need to love them and extend this message of good news, this message of assurance to them. So think about your life. Does your life reflect the eternal hope and security that has been given to you in Jesus Christ? The assurance that Paul speaks of that is because of Jesus, a God who is for us because he didn't spare his own son. He gave him up for us. That his son took all the condemnation for us upon the cross, and his son now intercedes for us. And that nothing can rival this love, and nothing can separate us from this love. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, then you can be assured that God is for you. And may Romans 8, 31 through 39, I'm sure you, if you've heard it before, it's a verse that you may come back to I hope that it's one that you cling to all the days of your life. 
That in the unsettled moments, you would look to, and, and when we kind of get two days away and we're unsettled again, that we would look to again. And whenever we hear condemnation from people or we feel it as we're driving in silence or just the silence of trying to go to sleep at night, that we would think, if God is for us, who can be against us? Our assurance is in Jesus. And maybe this, may this be a text that we cling to all the days of our life because the reality that it speaks of is yours. Not only today, but for all eternity. Because in Jesus Christ, God is for you. And each week, we remember this. We come together and we call each other to remember this. We sing about it, we preach to this end, and, and we come to a time in our services where we take communion and we realize that there is a God who has loved us through his son and he has sent his son to be condemned for us to take our place and he, Jesus, upon the cross, shed his blood for our sake, to atone for our sins. He shed his blood, his body was broken so that we might know we have a God who is for us. So each week we come to a time in our services where we come to communion and this morning we do the same thing. And so if you know Jesus Christ, we invite you to the table after I pray that you would come and, and if you know, know Jesus as Lord, if you call yourself a Christian, we invite you to come share in communion with us. The way we do communion here is we break off a piece of bread and dip it in either the wine, which is in the stoneware cups, or in grape juice, which is in the glasses. Um, also, there is a gluten-free option in, on the table if you are gluten-free. But what we do is we, we come together in communion and we take heart. We kind of, it's this movement where we practice living in this truth, tasting this reality that in Jesus, God is for us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we confess that we are people who put our hope and we seek our assurance in stuff, in circumstances, in people. And we find ourselves weak and frail, exhausted and burnt out. And so would you speak to us your words of grace, even as we take this meal, would, would they, uh, the tasting of the elements remind us of the reality that is ours because of Christ, that we would celebrate and we would proclaim, Jesus, your death and your resurrection till you return. It's in your name, amen. Come when you're ready.